Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. Hello and welcome to another episode of Holistic Health Chats. In this week's episode, I am speaking with Kelly Benton, or as you may know her from the gram, Feeding the Bump. If you currently have a little one and you're navigating the food introduction space, or this is something that might be in the horizon for you in the next few months, this is a fantastic episode for you to tune into. Kelly unpacks how to recognize the signs of readiness in your baby for when it's appropriate to look at introducing foods for the first time. We also cover how frequently to offer foods, the importance of iron in this first 12 months and of course thereafter, plus some key information to help you navigate the introduction of allergens. This was a very interesting episode for me. I obviously knew a little bit about it, but I certainly learned a thing or two as well. So if this is something that is going to be popping up in your life in the next few months, please do tune in and have a listen. As always, if this is an area that you feel that you need support in, a little professional advice and support can be just the thing that you need to make this process fun for you instead of stressful. So if you feel that's something that you need help with, please feel free to reach out to Kelly. You'll find her links in the show notes. Before we do dive in to this week's episode, if you are currently wanting personalized support with your nutrition and hormones, the best place to start is booking in a complimentary consultation with me. So in this 15-minute consultation, you and I will meet via Zoom and we will discuss your current health goals or challenges, what you can expect from consultations, and also a likely time frame. We cover any questions that you might have. And at the end of that appointment, if you're ready to go ahead and book in, we find a time for your initial consultation. But equally, if you need time to think about it a little more, that's perfectly okay too. There's absolutely no pressure. To book in a complimentary consultation, all you need to do is head to selandouglas.com forward slash links or navigate down to the show notes on whatever app you're listening to right now, and you will see that direct link there to book in a complimentary consultation. I hope to see you very soon. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hi, Selene. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to have you on. I've um, we've obviously been interacting quite a lot online um, on Instagram, but it's always nice to actually, you know, virtually meet with someone and put a face, as you said, to the name. Today, we're going to be talking about starting solids, so something we haven't spoken about ever on the show or really delved into. So I am excited to cover this topic with you today because I know this is something that you help your clients a lot with. And obviously, you're also a mum of recently too, which is amazing. But before we get into that, I'd love if you could share a little bit about what you do and what your business is all about, sort of like what your niche area is. Yep, no worries. So I am a nutritionist. I run a business called Feeding the Bump. 
I guess I specialize in helping women through pregnancy, postpartum, and then also with their little ones when they are starting solids. So with things like if they have eczema, constipation, issues like that, or just generally if they need advice because it can be quite overwhelming um, getting started um, with solids. So just giving them some general advice on where to start and what are some of the key foods and nutrients to focus on um, to make life easier for them. Um, But I guess like why I got into this space was like most people, you have a personal experience that kind of makes you more passionate about helping other people. So I I guess through my first pregnancy experience, a lot of like, I guess, medical complications, but also some severe nutrient depletion in my postpartum period. Um, And I thought if this can happen to me, who is someone who generally like, obviously I studied nutrition, I lead a healthy lifestyle. I thought then imagine like a lot of other women out there who don't have the background that I have. So I wanted to help them, I guess, lead healthy, happy pregnancies and um, enjoy their postpartum periods. They're not feeling exhausted. And then the same with starting solids. Like I found that with my first daughter, so overwhelming in knowing where to start. And there's so much conflicting information out there on the internet and what your pediatrician's telling you, um, what friends are telling you, what your parents are telling you. So I wanted to, I guess, get the evidence and help mums sort of cycle through all that information. Um, So, yeah, here we are. I started my business about a year ago now and I've been consulting for about six months. But Mm -hmm. as you said, I've just had my second baby. He's 15 weeks old. So I have kind of taken a little break from clients just to um, get through, the enjoy the postpartum period, enjoy the time with my two babies. Um, But hopefully I'll be starting back consulting again around June, July this year. Amazing. Yeah, I think it is a really huge period of transition for women and definitely so much. I mean, with anything health-wise, really like so much conflicting information out there online. But I do think that with pregnancy and obviously feeding a little one, because it's not just about you anymore, it's also a time I think that poses that extra layer of I don't want to say stress, but maybe pressure with the decisions that you you are making, that they're not, say, just affecting you anymore, that they're also affecting the little baby that you're bringing into the world. So I think it is a time when women tend to do a lot of research and really start delving into kind of like what they what they want to be doing health-wise to look after themselves. And there is a trend, I think, nowadays online, not so much a trend, but it's becoming, there's more awareness now. I think there's a real shift happening with um, pregnancy and also postpartum taking care of yourself. Like that whole bounce back culture is really starting to shift. Yeah, totally. There, it's definitely, (laughs) sorry, my voice is going. It is definitely shifting, which I think is really, really great to see. And hopefully that continues. So today we're obviously talking about starting solids, which is eventually something I'm excited to experience (laughs) myself when the time comes. But I'd just like to start, I suppose, with what are some of those key like developmental signs that your baby might be ready to start? Because there are some generic sort of recommendations around how many months they might be. But I guess your thoughts around like, is there a certain time frame or is it more so on an individual based um, basis that you would be looking for that? 
Yeah, totally. So I firstly want to say I'm glad that you have asked this question because I think there is a lot of confusion out there that comes from, and not to sort of disrespect them, that comes from healthcare practitioners around the time to start solids. Um, And a lot of people are still being recommended to start their babies around four months old. This literally, I had my son's three-month checkup with his pediatrician yesterday and literally I walked out of that um, appointment being told to start him on solids around four months old, which to me is terrifying because that's only in like three weeks' time and there's no way he's ready to start. So I strongly believe that it is more important to look at the signs to understand whether your baby is ready to start and make sure they're called the development signs of readiness. So making sure that your baby is um, ticking off these observable milestones um, that indicate that their sort of their digestive system is mature enough to ready and ready enough to start to handle and digest solid food. So usually the signs will present around um, six months of age, which is why you do sort of hear that talked about online and with other um, sort of professional bodies. So it's around that six-month mark. But for some babies, it might be five and a half months. For some babies, it might be six and a half months or six months and a week. So there's no exact time. Um, It's mainly looking at those um, signs. Before I talk about what the signs are, I did also just want to mention for premature babies because I think that's where we do run into a bit of pressure to start earlier because there's this perception that because they're premature they sort of need more nourishment and to grow and so therefore you need to start them on food but really you should be sort of going by their corrected age or their adjusted age to follow that and also just generally the same as a normal baby watching for the development signs to see if they are ready so what are the signs so the first one is where the baby can sit up with little or no support so this means that they can sit up well in a high chair or in a seated position for a period of time. So they might not be able to sit perfectly. Um, They will eventually topple over, but generally they'll have good head control and you will observe that they have an element of core strength. So they're not like fully propped up with pillows and sort of flopping all over the place. Um, So what that indicates is that their muscles in sort of their core and their digestive system are ready to start the process of moving food through through the system. The second one is whether they're able to turn their head and indicate they've had enough. And this one ensures they're able to express the signs of fullness and actively participate in mealtimes. And this is really important because one of the um, key things to keep in mind when starting solids is to allow baby to lead and sort of respect those signs of um, hunger and satiety. So making sure that they are able to express that um, is really important. Third one is whether they've lost, this is a tongue tie in itself, the tongue (laughs) thrust reflex. Okay, I got that right. So what that means is you see young babies uh, like when they're sort of lying there sort of using their tongue to push like saliva and things out of their mouth that's a reflex that they have to help prevent babies from choking Um, so if there is a foreign object in their mouth they can quickly expel it by pushing out with their tongue Um, usually around six months is when it starts to disappear and so that generally becomes the time that they are able to put food in their mouth and swallow it as opposed to just spitting it straight back out again so important to keep an eye out for that one Um, and then the last one so this is a sign that most parents I think see in their babies and then get really excited and think oh yes my baby's ready to start food but I think I like to instruct my clients to take that as the last sign Um, and that's because um, it's generally a sign that we see at the age of four to six months Mm -hmm. as a general development sign so what that is is babies are ready 
and willing to chew. They're eager to participate in mealtimes and grab food and put it in their mouths. And so if you think about a baby around that sort of age, they're grabbing any object and sucking on it and trying to chew on it. Mm -hmm. So it's a general um, development sign of a baby. It doesn't always necessarily mean just because they're like putting their finger in their mouth and sucking it means they want food or whatever other rattle or things like that. Um, So take it as the last sign. And, yeah, I think uh, like a really good thing I think parents can do in the meantime if a, if a baby is sort of starting to express interest in food but doesn't show the other signs could be to sit them up in the high chair and let them sort of participate in mealtimes mm-hmm. by watching you but not necessarily having to give them food yet yeah. um, because they might not always be ready. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point of differentiation because I've definitely seen that talked about a lot as like the baby engaged in mealtimes or looking like they're interested in your food is a really key thing you hear. But like you said, they're picking nearly anything up off the ground and putting it in their mouth, right? So is that more so, like you said, a development sign in general as opposed to being necessarily linked to food? Um, yeah. specifically super interesting and yeah. then I wanted to ask about like first food so say you are recognizing those food um, those signs sorry mm-hmm. and you think you want to start introducing first foods what are some of those foods you would generally be recommending yeah so you want to be because babies in the beginning don't really eat a lot of food um if you think they've never they've been breastfed or bottle fed they don't know what food is as such and really they don't have that connection that this piece of food means i'm going to eat it and feel full afterwards so in the beginning you need to expect that they're not going to be eating huge amounts of food they might just i don't know if depending if you're finger food feeding finger foods or purees they might just play around with it a little bit maybe lick a little bit off their hands or put it in their mouth and then take it back out so it's they're not going to eat a lot, I guess, the point I'm trying to get across. So the foods you do offer, you want to be offering um, as are as nutrient-dense as possible. And one of the main nutrients that is important for babies around the six-month mark is iron, and that's because their iron needs significantly increase between six to 12 months. So actually it's about 11 milligrams a day is what a six to 12 month old baby needs, which is more than one adult male needs. So they need an adult male needs about eight milligrams. So that's um, quite a lot when you think of it in that context. So you want to be offering um, foods that are rich in iron because breast milk um, alone around six months is not enough to um, provide them those iron needs on a daily basis even though breast milk does play an important role in feeding baby up until two years of age. That's a recommendation from the World Health Organization. So offering iron-rich foods first, um, that would be the main thing that Mm -hmm. I would recommend to parents. Um, And so they are things like grass-fed liver is a really, Mm -hmm. really nutrient-dense food. I know you've talked about that (laughs) even for mothers in pregnancy, like it's amazing food. Mm -hmm. So offering that to baby, it kind of ticks off all the main nutrients in terms of iron, um, DHA, which is important for brain development yeah so I would say things like that then once you've introduced sort of uh, seafood um, sardines and oysters are really good two other really nutrient dense foods to include Um, but prior to that um, things like uh, seaweed which you can ground up into like little into like a powder form and put that into yeah. in puree and that can really boost the nutrient profile of like just a standard say sweet potato puree um, chia seeds are great as well because they're high in calcium and they also contain those healthy fats and hemp seeds as well as another one I like to recommend mm. to clients too because yeah they're not foods that 
you'll be worried about baby choking on, but they are really, I guess, nutrient powerhouses when it comes to bang for their buck. Yeah, and I think for anyone, you know, that has or or has looked into this or has, you know, been through this process, it's obviously very, very different recommendations to what you would be getting from maybe your healthcare provider around sort of like rice cereal and that sort of Mm. thing, which I know is something that's talked Mm. about quite a bit online. But This might be really new to you. You might be like, what? I thought that I was supposed to be feeding my baby rice cereal. But I think that iron piece is just really really huge and when we look at the nutrient profile of i know they're fortified but that's a whole nother conversation in of itself um (laughs) and also kind of the the development of the microbiome in a a small baby like they're just not at a point where they're really going to be able to digest something Uh, like that with that huge amount of grain content as opposed to animal products yeah, and unfortunately that's, yeah, that ends up being what a lot of parents are recommended. And like, I don't want anyone listening to this to kind of feel guilty if that's of course. what they have, no. they have given their baby. But I know like I do have a lot of clients that come to me like and that's one of the, the foods that I have offered first and they do present like quite often with signs of like constipation mm. and just general digestive discomfort from offering the rice cereal because it is sort of really, it's a grain, it's really hard to digest and also the artificial iron that's been put into there when you could um, choose all of these beautiful natural foods that are really high in iron and in its most natural form, which is going to be a lot more gentler on the digestive system and be much more well-absorbed um, than yeah. an artificial product. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, it's always um, so many different examples of this in the health and nutrition arena, but just so many examples where the the guidelines or the recommendations just seem to completely be ignorant of the science that's available. And you just kind of left there going, why? Like, unfortunately, unless you're seeking out, say, advice from a practitioner like yourself or um, someone similar, you know, of course, you're going to think that the best possible information and advice you're getting is from your health professional. It's not unreasonable to assume that. And yeah, unfortunately, it's very sad. I think that that's just not the case, unfortunately. And okay, so you're in that those early signs. How often should you be um, offering food to your baby? Yeah. So like I said um, before, every baby is going to be different Mm. um, when it comes to when to start, but also how much food they're going to be wanting. So it's really important to be following their cues and let them lead the way. Um, And I guess I like to suggest to people to think of it in the way that when you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding and you're generally doing that on demand. So why should we change that approach Mm. when we start to introduce solid food? So it should be, it should continue to kind of be an extension of that. So offering the food on demand and letting them um, choose how much they eat of that food. And research has shown that when babies are presented with the opportunity, and I find a lot of parents find this difficult to sort of let go of that control, but when babies are presented the opportunity to eat, like a selection of healthy foods, they will know how much to eat and which Mm. of the foods they need to nourish themselves as opposed to someone dictating how often and how much they should eat. And it's really important for them to do this because it helps them stay connected to their own body's cues of hunger and satiety. Um, and that's something I think that many adults have lost over time, um, just in the world and how busy we are and, like, we really don't, um, we're, not, we're not eating mindfully and I think we really want to instill that in our children from the beginning. Definitely. Do you find there's any, because a lot of the foods you mentioned um, being great, say, for those initial stages like liver, sardines, mm. do you find there's any, I guess, sort of 
hesitation from parents as they might find those foods like gross or, you know, yuck, or they might have sort of prejudices about those foods. Do you find like come across that at all? Yeah, I do all the time. And so I generally, like I'll try to work with people yep. for ways around it. So like liver is a beautifully nutrient dense food, mm. um, which we've said, but um, again, not all parents might like to cook with it. The smell might put them off. So I like to talk to them about ways that they might be able to incorporate this without sort of going through that icky cooking stage. So you could either cut it up and literally fry it into strips um, and serve that to baby, but there's other ways. So you can buy some um, companies offer like pre-made frozen um, like liver cubes with stock so all you need to do is sort of defrost those in like a say you're making like a bolognese type meal you can just pop Mm. them in and you don't have to touch it do anything with it and it kind of it's just in the background another way you can incorporate it is you can buy the liver capsules you can open up those and sprinkle them into your baby's purees or into any food so there's lots of ways um, that you can incorporate it without sort of being grossed out but yeah generally I'll like work with people one-on-one if they do have a huge issue with certain foods in either how we can incorporate it in an alternative way or an alternative food Um, so it might just be being mindful to like if they're okay with beef then offering that instead like it doesn't necessarily have to liver all day every day and it shouldn't be there should only be a couple of times a week um, anyway yeah yeah and I think ultimately like in an ideal world I mean obviously it depends on so so say how severe someone's aversion is to it but we don't want to be kind of like what's that imposing our you know potentially funny feelings towards certain foods on our baby as well right so there's that component I imagine too and you sort of touched on it a little bit but I'd love if you could explain a little bit about what baby led weaning is sure so yeah a few years ago it was the hot topic Mm. baby led weaning so it's essentially just a method of introducing solid food that involves offering the baby safe appropriately sized um, pieces of food so that the baby can feed themselves. Mm -hmm. So the method allows them to explore, self-regulate the types and the amount of food they eat. So going back to what I was saying before about letting them lead. So the benefits of this method include it can help create more adventurous eaters because what they're doing is it gives them an early opportunity to explore different tastes, different textures and colours of food. It also helps them to develop and improve their manual dexterity and hand-eye coordination because they're using their own like hands to pick up the food as opposed to a spoon. It's less complicated, leads to less complicated meal times if mm. you're following the approach in the way that you would make one meal for the family and then sort of siphon off the portion for baby that's in the appropriate um, size and shape. And so you're then only making one meal, um, which takes the pressure away as well um, off you. Um, it also increases their trust with food because they're letting it's letting baby learn that different foods have different shapes and textures and flavors mm. as opposed to purees, which is the same mm. texture and not always the same color, but different flavors, but same texture. So it kind of um, doesn't give you that same sensory experience. But in saying that, if you don't feel comfortable, and I find this is a common theme amongst all parents, including myself when I was starting, If you don't feel comfortable offering um, finger foods, you can still follow the same principles of baby-led weaning with a puree puree approach. Mm -hmm. And the ways that you can do that is by offering a small amount. So before you're starting to offer the spoon, you can just put a dollop of puree on the high chair Mm -hmm. and let baby play around with that and get all messy and taste it themselves. 
And that gives them that opportunity to feel that texture and to taste. Mm. When you do offer the spoon, you can hold it out in front of them and you let them move to the spoon as opposed to putting the spoon into their mouth, which I know is very tempting for many (laughs) of us. And then again, watching for those signs of fullness and stopping when you are seeing that. And some of those signs could be babies turning their head away from the food, like closing their mouth. Also, you see them going from playing and mashing you see them from go away from eating food to start playing and mashing food, sorry. And then their facial expression also generally changes mm. from concentrating on the food to then they sort of get this playful, mischievous look. And so that's when you know that they're done. Um, so watching for those signs and then also not pressuring baby to just take one more bite because you've got a bowl of puree there and you want to finish the bowl. So if they've had enough, they've had enough. Like don't sort of feel tempted to just because that's the bowl there so also just with baby led weaning the other thing i wanted to mention is going back to the iron as an important nutrient some research has shown that babies who are um, fed via that method can be lower in can be iron deficient as opposed to um, babies who are fed in other ways and this is because like parents might be hesitant to offer sort of the meat-based foods in a finger food form for fear of choking or just like you were saying before, they might be grossed out in cooking it in a certain way. So I think parents just really need to be mindful to make sure that you are offering iron-rich foods as a, as part of a baby-led weaning meal and trying to offer those first where possible. Cool. So I just wanted to go back to something we were talking about earlier around how much, um, how often we should be offering baby food. So in saying that around, it's important to let baby lead. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a very rough guide for parents. So Generally around six to seven months, um, you'd be feeding baby once a day. Um, mm-hmm. and it's okay if life gets busy and that you have to skip um, skip a day now and then So because it's not generally providing the majority of their nutrition. Um, for around seven to nine months, that'll probably move to around twice a day. And that's when you start to need to be mindful to start to include a variety of different flavours and textures um, into the food. Then when you get to nine months, you'll probably find it's becoming definitely twice a day from now on, but also being mindful to start offering finger foods as well if you haven't already introduced them because this is kind of the window of opportunity um, which you get to. And researchers suggest that um, introducing finger foods around this time is going to help reduce any potential feeding difficulties and fussiness in toddlerhood. Um, So you want to really, yeah, try to incorporate, even if it's something, if you feel you're a bit still a bit nervous to introduce finger foods you could start by offering something soft like slices of banana Mm -hmm. or slices of avocado some really good ones to start with because they're not like those more um solid um, foods chewy chewy foods that parents get worried about then from around 10 to 12 months you'll find you might be offering food up to three times a day um, but this is where watching baby's cues is important Um, but generally by 12 months you will be giving about three meals a day And then from 12 months, it'll be three meals plus snacks, Mm -hmm. um, depending on toddler's individual appetite. Um, And also I like to recommend my clients start to aim for family meals by this age as well because it's really important that they're feeling part of that mealtime and Mm -hmm. also it gives them an opportunity to start to model your behaviour. And I generally find a lot of kids um, in toddlerhood become fussy and one of the key strategies to reduce that is to eat together as a family so that they are sort of eating what you're eating and modeling behavior and it generally helps improve those behaviors yeah it's so there's just so many changes that they go through and especially in that first year I mean I'm sure beyond yeah. that as well but it's just crazy it's so 
So incredible, the amount of changes. And just when, like, you get things going, then teething happens or something happens and it it throws it out the window (laughs) for a few weeks. And then, but I guess, yeah, you just have to know that, like, yeah, it's not always going to be perfect. And if your baby's, like I said, not feeling like food for whatever reason, they might be sick or teething, then that's okay. They know when they're hungry and they'll eat when they want to eat. Yeah. And really trusting them in doing that. Yeah, I think the overall theme so far is that, um, yes, we have these certain periods of time that are kind of, you know, by this time this might be happening or should be happening. But ultimately what you're saying is that it is an individual sort of case-by-case basis and ultimately we're looking at being led by our individual baby sort of cues and development changes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we won't go into this too much because I know this is a huge topic, but one fear I think a lot of parents might have is around the allergens and introducing Mm. those. And so, yeah, when do you look at start doing those? And is there like a certain sequence or order that you look at doing those in? Um, So generally the recommendation um, for introducing allergenic foods is around 6 to 12 months. So you want to be introducing all of the the top allergenic foods, and I'll talk about those in a second, mm. um, by 12 months of age. And so once a baby is starting to show the development signs of readiness and they've started solids and they've had a few introductions of different foods, different um, lower risk foods, then you can get started on introducing um, allergenic foods. So, and this, I guess, is also relevant for babies who might be higher risk of developing allergies. So those that have things like eczema or a family history of food allergies, it's the same advice, Mm -hmm. still introduce by 12 months of age, um, sort of from six six to 12 months. Sorry, lost my train of thought. That's what I wanted to say. And, yeah, whilst your instinct might tell you to um, hold off on introducing allergens until a baby's old enough, research is actually showing us that it is more detrimental to do that because it increases their chances of developing an allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. So it's actually better to the earlier you introduce, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, there was a study done um, on the delay of egg introduction until after 12 months of age, and that resulted in a 3.4-fold risk or higher risk of developing an egg allergy compared to those who were introduced at six months of age. So that's just one example. But, um, yeah, I guess that goes across all of the the top allergen foods. Mm -hmm. So what are the allergens? So it's important to be mindful that any food can cause an allergic reaction or has the potential to cause an allergic reaction. But generally the chances of that happening is quite low. There are eight foods which make up about 90% of reactions in children. So these are wheat, um, cow's milk, and this is one of the high, the one that causes um, the highest occurrence um, food allergies and sensitivities in babies, definitely what I see as well. Um, so wheat, cow's milk, eggs, um, soy, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, um, and shellfish, mm-hmm. and sesame as well is considered um, a top allergen in Australia. So, yeah, in terms of how you should be introducing them, um, you want to take a slow and mindful approach um, by making sure that you do one at a time. So I don't necessarily, like, follow a strict order of introduction. I think it's more important to do one at a time and do it slowly Mm -hmm. so that if there is 
an allergic reaction, you know which food it is that's caused the reaction. If you were to just throw everything in the mix, then it would be really quite hard to determine what it actually is. And then you end up restricting your baby of certain Mm. foods, which might be really nutrient dense um, and not allowing them to have those foods. So one at a time, um, so you're clear on the reaction. And then also important to know that it's a reaction might not necessarily occur after the first introduction. So you want to do at least three introductions before adding a high risk food into the normal rotation. And I like to recommend waiting at least sort of four days between each of those introductions. And that's because an allergic reaction, you'll generally see um, the symptoms appear anywhere from a few minutes up to a few hours But it's those food sensitivities where the symptoms might not appear like they might appear after a few hours, um, things like gastrointestinal upset, um, Mm. constipation, et cetera. But they also might not appear for a few days. So you want to give at least like sort of three days between to see if there is any any issues like diarrhea, constipation um, and general tummy pains, gas, et cetera, that might also not necessarily be life-threatening, but cause a huge amount of discomfort Mm. to your baby. So you want to know if that's um, been triggered by a certain food. So start with the food, offer sort of half a teaspoon, a small amount, either on its own or mixed into, if you're offering purees, offering a small amount mixed into the puree. Offer that and then wait four days. If you don't see any reaction, then that's when you can do your second introduction Um, and sort of follow exactly the same method, then wait another four days and monitor for reactions again and then um, do your third introduction. And then if um, no symptoms, then move on to the next food Mm. and follow the same process. I find it also is helpful because it can be quite overwhelming with having these eight foods and they need to be done by 12 months and then Mm. you need to do it four times and all of that is to like I give my clients like a sort of a, a planner. Yeah. So that you can actually map it out like, okay, this week we're doing egg and then we're going to do it this day, this day, this day. And you kind of can be yeah. more mindful about what you're doing and when, and then the next week is the next food, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Otherwise, yeah, you're sort of like, how many times have I done it? Or what, like, yeah. It's easy to lose track of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you kind of want to do it strategically and make sure you've done it yeah. properly. And I think having a plan around it maybe you find this with your clients takes the stress out of it a little bit as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, A plan and a strategy. And I think ultimately with something like that, it's so worth getting like some professional advice around that or getting help from someone like you, because ultimately it's worth it just for the peace of mind of it helping Mm. to maybe take some of that stress off or that pressure off you, which I'm sure it, it is a huge thing, I think, for a lot of parents. Yeah. And the other thing, like, We're so, like, we don't often realise this, but our babies are so connected to Mm. us and our emotions and that's probably something, like, I wanted to add in general to the whole starting solids conversation. But Mm. allergens I find is one trigger and then choking is the other. You want to feel as comfortable as possible with, like, the whole situation because if if you are feeling anxious and on edge, like, offering a food, your baby's going to pick up on that Mm. and therefore that's not going to create a positive um, experience at mealtimes for them and could potentially, like, impact down the track. So I think it's mainly important that the parent feels comfortable in the type of food they're offering and then, yeah, having sort of a plan in place if you are sort of someone who's more on the anxious worrisome side um, definitely get some help to have someone to support you through it and make it easier yeah that's amazing that's such a good suggestion I think we've covered so much ground today obviously these this is like scratching the surface of each <laughs> yeah. of these topics it's kind of like a nice little summary and overview but 
it's so much more in depth. Is there anything else you wanted to add to the conversation? Obviously, we can have you back on another time to kind of go mm-hmm. like delve into one of these topics in depth. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's about you feeling comfortable. It should be an exciting time. It's the first time your baby's ever experiencing food. And if you mm. think about your whole life, like food, I know at least for me, plays I love such, food. <laughs> such, a, yeah, such a big role in our lives. Like it's like there's so much like joy and emotion connected mm. to it and experience and like you're the person introducing your baby to this. So you should be like, you should be excited and it should be enjoyable. It should be fun. And so like embrace the mess and relax and kind of go with what your baby wants and don't get caught up in the whole, like just don't get caught up in the stress of it all. I yeah. think it sounds easy to say, but I think that's my biggest piece of advice is to just mm. go with it and enjoy it and your baby will enjoy it too. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I've loved this conversation. I've loved having you on and I'd love if you could share where listeners can find you online and also get in touch with you. Sure. Um, So my Instagram is at feeding.the.bump or people can visit my website, which is www.feedingthebump.com.au. So yeah, I'd be happy to love to hear hear from you on either of those ways. Amazing. I'll definitely put those links in the show notes and I absolutely love the name as well, Feeding Mom. I just think that's so (laughs) clever. I love it so much. Thank you so much for your time today, Kelly. I've really enjoyed talking with you. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.